going to be such an exciting conversation. Yay. Was so excited to meet her at a Wellbeing Trust meeting. And I want to know, a few episodes ago, you all heard from Ben Miller from Wellbeing Trust. And today, I get the exciting, exciting honor to have just this amazing and timely conversation with Sylvie Trevina. So instead of me introducing, as you all know, I don't do, don't read bios. Why don't you introduce yourself? My name is Sylvie Trevina. I work for Wellbeing Trust, and I consider probably my most important job on this planet as a parent. I'm a program associate and executive assistant at Wellbeing Trust, which is um, something that deals with mental health and the wellness of the nation, which I'm committed to as well. And I also do some writing. So I'm kind of all over the place. And I do deal with a couple of uh, mental health diagnoses. So you got all of that stuff going on and how we got kind of connected is um, at this meeting, I got a little nervous, which is kind of, well, it's not rare for me to be nervous, but sort of, I was doing a little mini, mini presentation, but I needed your help. You were, you were like my little uh, uh, buddy kind of helping me out to make sure that I didn't flub up. (laughs) So I appreciate that. And then um, as we got to talking, you shared a blog um, with me that you wrote about um, the thing that you said was really important to you, parenting. So can you just share a little bit more about um, why parenting is important to you? And especially it was uh, Mama Bearings. I love the title, Mama Bearings. What it was that you were writing about, because it's really so timely for us to talk about this. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I can't take credit for the Mama Bearings, um, even though that has been one of my nicknames, because I definitely have more children than most of my friends. My editor came up with that. I was, I'm based in Florida. I was working for um, a good friend, a childhood friend's nonprofit as I was finishing my education in behavioral health, which I was an adult learner. I went to college in my 30s. I'm now in my mid 40s. So um, I did that kind of delayed. I was writing a blog about my experiences as a parent and a local LGBTQ magazine decided to reach out to me and interview me about my blog. My blog is about my family, my children. I'm the single parent of four children. And my youngest is a transgender boy named Jake. So Watermark, the local publication, picked me up, gave me a lot of great support and kind of kickstarted my professional writing career about five years ago. And I've been writing um, the column, which as you mentioned, is called Mama Bearings, um, kind of on and off, even throughout the pandemic when we were all furloughed for a bit since then. And it's been, it's been great. I think I always wanted to be a professional writer, but I never really wanted to like say that out loud into the universe. Cause it was so near and dear to my heart. I didn't know if it would ever happen. You don't, you know, writing so personal and then you have to share it with everyone. But um, I've, found that it's been really therapeutic for me and really helpful because when I started writing about Jake and our experiences, the first thing I did was Google um, like books on Amazon, for example, there were three, there were three books on raising a transgender child. When I looked, this was about seven years ago and there were three whole books. And I thought, Oh, I ordered all three. Um, but there was, there were no, there was not a lot of resources when we started this journey, when Jake started his transition. Um, and that kind of brought the awareness to me that like, Hey, there might be other parents out there that are, that are dealing with this. And it's such an important part of your child's life is like, you know, becoming who they truly are, their authentic person with all four of my kids, but with Jake, it's a unique situation. So 
I was more than happy to share that with people because I thought it would be so helpful. Mm-hmm. There were no, there was nothing for me to read. There were a couple people to reach out to. I was luckily doing HIV case management at that time. So I had a wealth of resources at my job, but there was not a lot out there wow. to offer me support or give me any sort of insight into what this process was going to be like for Jake and our family. It becomes so amazing when we find ourselves sometimes so alone that we take up whatever it needs to be, whether it be writing in your case or podcast in my case, to be able to share with others so they don't feel so alone and that they can um, find some um, hope and resources and support in the stories that we're sharing. So when I read your blog, it was really hard to read. I'm going to admit that the one that I read on Watermark was really hard to read because of legislation that was passed that would impact your son's ability to do what he wanted to do that would like give him the most joy and all because of being transgender. It's like so ridiculous in my mind. It's like, what do you, what do you care what team you know, he plays on. So can you, can you share a little bit about kind of what happened and, and also the outcome? I'd I'd like to know the outcome too. Yeah, definitely. There's been a lot of different experiences over the years, uh, doctor's appointments, dentist appointments, where you have to take people aside and say, excuse me, you know, um, Jake's legal name hasn't been changed yet. We're in the process of doing that this year, but the name, you know, on all the medical documentation and things like that school paperwork included is, you know, Jake's dead name, which I rather not use on here because we don't, we don't use that name anymore. Um, Mm -hmm. Jake only responds to Jake. That's who he is. Mm -hmm. So he's in middle school and he's a boy. And he wants to play sports. And I have not had a lot of athletic kids so far. We've dabbled in gymnastics. We maybe did a karate class here or there, but I don't have a bunch of athletes. I've got some creative kids. I've got some artsy kids. I've got, you know, kids that go to the gym every once in a while, but we haven't done sports yet. And he's the youngest. So this was a new experience. Did the paperwork online. That was a whole process. Um, <laughs> did did all the onboarding and got an email from the county saying, okay, you know, you've been accepted. I, of course, noted with all the paperwork, Jake is a transgender boy. I, I know what the legislature is in Florida and the legislature in Florida, um, if Jake was a transgender female being, you know, a male to female transitioning, he would not allowed to play on sports teams mm-hmm. because he is a male transgender student there's a loophole there. There's a gray area. So as soon as we were accepted and thought everything was good, I received a phone call from someone at the school who was almost in tears having to tell me this and said, you know, I'm so sorry. There's been a mistake. Jake can practice with the boys, but Jake can play with the girls because Jake is biologically female. And I'm thinking, I mean, there isn't a neon arrow pointing to my child, you know, transgender, transgender boy, Jake represents as biologically male in person, there Mm -hmm. would be no indication from anyone. This is the way that he has lived for, you know, almost seven years now, he transitioned very young. So I had to tell him, hey, we might have a problem with this. And he was devastated. He didn't want to go to practice that day. We're in the process of, um, of tryouts when Mm -hmm. they approved and then declined. I looked into legislature and I contacted my wonderful boss, Ben, and, um, you know, and some people I know at Equality Florida, and they made a couple phone calls and Jake was suddenly uh, made the team. Wow. So, <laughs> but 
those like three days of uncertainty in the back and forth, there was a conversation that was very uncomfortable with another staff member where she said, um, it would be fine, except we had to do all this paperwork and it had to be turned in in 24 hours. And this was asking for, um, I guess it's the Florida state requirements for college and high school sports. If you're transgender, they actually have certain policies for that that are written out. And um, I don't know about the other states, but Florida is, is a very lengthy process. And I would have been expected to turn in very personal, very confidential medical records psychiatric evaluations, all of these things, just so my son can play soccer at the school. Yeah. Uh, the school was very supportive and that was not the problem. They backed us hundred percent. It was the question of the legislature and the county pushed back pretty hard and said, oh, he can't, but then he can, but then we've got to do this. I refused to do the paperwork <laughs> because I wasn't going to do it. And he had an excellent season playing soccer. I think it's worth mentioning that not a single boy on the team had a problem with it. He was accepted with open arms. He had people giving him, you know, like tips and pointers since he'd never played sports before. And they knew what the situation was. Mm -hmm. There was never any pushback from kids. And that's kind of what I focus on when we're having like dark days like these, you know, there's just been so much negative things in the press. There's been so many bad things with legislature for, for people like me in my home state. It's awful. It's depressing. It's triggering. It's all the bad words, but those little boys just wanted him to play soccer and he just wanted mm -hmm. to play soccer with them. He will definitely play next year. Mm -hmm. And it was a really great experience, but the fact that it had to be a fight yeah. For just like you said, a basic right of any other child. Um, I have I have a friend who has a transgender daughter, and this child played sports before transitioning. That child can no longer play sports, you know, under these guidelines. So you're telling these kids you can't, you know, yeah, that's that's the definition of inclusion, right? Like, yeah, everybody but you can yeah, do it. Yeah. To tell these children that at these ages, like, what's that gonna do to that generation? Yeah, I think it's kind of terrifying. It is terrifying. And it's, you know, they're putting up all of these, you know, barriers, fill out this paperwork and make the paperwork so like long and involved and hoping. I think the, the goal is to hope people won't do it. Well, I guess I won't yes. do it, right? And so um somehow like, you know, making it harder for people to engage in activities that they really enjoy and simultaneously hurting the emotional well-being of that young person. So this idea that you have to get a psychological evaluation, but who's hurting whose mental health here? Right. You know what I'm, you know what I'm thinking? Right. It's like you, you, this, this, this legislation, these rules, these regulations um, ultimately impact a young person and how they think about themselves. And, you know, uh, you as a parent then have to do double, triple, quadruple duty to be able to continue to shore up your um, uh, son's mental health. And I'm, you know, so glad that, you know, he has other classmates and um, teammates that are like, yeah, no, let's get this on. We want to win this game. <laughs> you know, this yeah. is about making sure you're the best you could be because we got to win this game and we like you and we, you know, yeah. it's so cool, right? That part. They cool. don't care. They don't, they don't care in the best possible way. And yes. of course, pronouns are important. Identity is important. Gender is important. All these things, I, I'm not taking away from that. How somebody identifies is everything. That's mm -hmm. where the failure to thrive starts. Yeah. But what I'm saying is, those boys just wanted to play soccer and have a good time. And they're playing with a little boy named Jake. And 
a lot of the teammates knew he was transgender and there were no issues. None. Yeah. And that, that was, that was the good part that came out of it. Such a testament to, I think, um, you know, the, the role of the parent, you know, and being able to support not just your son, but, you know, your other children as well as you go through this process. And so, you know, how do you, for your own self, like I always say, you got to keep the cup full and overflowing before you kind of pour into helping somebody else. So how, how do you maintain your own health and wellness and well-being in the midst of, you know, fighting some of these battles and, you know, being the cheerleader for all your kids? It's a good question. Um, I will be the first to tell you that the cup is not always overflowing, um, but I, I've, I've been in therapy on and off since I was about 18. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, I've, I, I'm a huge proponent of therapy. I'm one of those people that thinks literally every single person should be in therapy. Um, I, I'm a huge fan of that. Um, whatever the modality, whatever the intervention, I think any kind of talk therapy where you can just you know, kind of vent to a person who's not going to judge you and a person that maybe doesn't know you on that personal level that friends and family might. I think that's hugely helpful. I, I practice self-care. I try to exercise daily. Um, that's been a huge thing for me, especially with my anxiety and depression. Um, sometimes it's just taking a walk and getting mm. outside, um, doing things like that. But I have definitely realized over the years, trying different things just for my own well-being and my own, you know, success with kind of juggling all these different hats that I think all of us wear and all of us parents certainly wear is just to kind of take my own temperature and just be like, am I okay? We always tell people, you know, check in on your people. I love that. I think that's the cornerstone of so many good ideas and movements in mental health right now. But I think a lot of the time we forget to take our own temperature especially those of us that work in mental health and you, you know, you're talking about these issues and you're on a million calls. And then at the end of the day, you're like, wow, I am not doing stellar today. I need like a little, I need a break. I need an hour to myself. I need to read a book. I need to get off social media. I need to put my phone away and just kind of unplug. And I was, I was definitely bad with that. But I think flagging those times for me is really important. And probably for other people too, just knowing when you're kind of at your limit, we're like, I'm done for today. Let's revisit this tomorrow. Yeah. Cause most things can wait a little bit, you know, when mm-hmm. you got to just kind of check in with yourself and take your temperature. And have you also found, I know for me, like finding, finding, I, okay, I'm going to use my tribe. I'm going to use that term. I don't know what other, or my peeps, whatever term, but, you know, finding those people that can support me in different ways and knowing, okay, when this is going on, I can, you know, just text them and and they know when I'm texting them, I don't want a response. Um, I mean, it's fine if they want to respond, but sometimes just putting it out there in the ether gets it out of my head, out of my heart, out of my body. Um, and they know that that's what I'm doing. So, and I try not to do it too often <laughs> for, for some people. It's like, okay, you're the person that I'm just going to like send this random, what the F kind of, you know, and I don't really want you to answer the question. I really don't want you to make me feel better. I just want you to know somebody needs to know that I'm having a what the F moment. And, and uh, know that I'll, I'll uh, get through it. And then there are other people where I think it's like, can we get on a call? Can we have a conversation? Can we talk through this? Because I now I really do need to kind of check. Did I understand that correctly? <laughs> Am I supposed to have these feelings? Of course, I'm supposed to have my feelings. But, um, you know, I'm, I'm finding that I do that not much more, but much better than I've done in the past. 
um, and um, reaching out to people rather than my poor father, like always calling my father to help me figure out like, am I okay or am I not okay? <laughs> so I have sort of my little circle of people that I can reach out to. Do you do that as well? I definitely have um, a great circle. I always, you know, I joke around with my, I mean, I have a pretty diverse group of friends and they age from, you know, I'm 44, they age from their 20s. Those were some of the people I definitely met going back to school in my 30s, you know, my little, my baby, my young and friends. I, I met them and I say that your 20s are great to meet a bunch of people. Your 30s are great to kind of start, kind of hone in your circle. But I think your 40s and 50s are where you have that really solid tribe. And I like tribe. I like peeps. I like circle. I like all of the things. The pandemic was a great example. Mm -hmm. I had three jobs. They all ended the same day. We were all furloughed down here. We, wow. we did shut down for a little bit in Florida. I have never been put in a situation where I was not able to provide for my children. Mm -hmm. I had no employment suddenly, but uh, a couple of my friends and I, we started like, we started an online book club which mm. was great because it made me read more. And then we just get on Zooms like this and, you know, have a little little talk about it. We did virtual happy hours. Um, we did a watch group where we just watched, you know, I'm not saying we watch documentaries, Karis. I'm talking like we watched some trash TV. Um, it was great. And then we would, you know, text in a chat, like on WhatsApp, things like that. It really, it sounds funny to talk about it, but that was the kind of stuff that kept me going. Yes. So, you know, as we've been talking about parenting and kids, we, we know that there's been you know, terrible tragedies happening in the world um, recently, you know, beyond sort of legislation that does impact um, LGBTQ2SIA+, <laughs> um, right? Uh, that uh, Florida's not alone there, um, sadly. What are some things that you think we should all be doing. You know, I do see this as a mental health and um, wellness issue as well as a social justice and civil rights issue. But what are some things that we all should be doing, do you think? I think, I mean, it, it's a really great question. And I definitely agree that there should be, you know, gun control and mental health has, has to stay separate. When yes. those two things get convoluted, we have just stagnant, nothing happening except, you know, people arguing and no action. You know, my kids asked me right before, you know, we started the recording, you know, had I known anybody that was involved in a school shooting? Yes. At the beginning of the pandemic, do you know anybody that has COVID? Middle of the pandemic, do you know anybody that has died of COVID? Mm -hmm. Now we're at how many times have you had COVID for some people? I think with the school shooting issue, it's terrifying. I have a friend whose child survived the Parkland shooting. She ran for her life. Her friend was gunned down next to her. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I know another survivor of that shooting because that happened in my home state. My kids all have iPhones so I can track their location. Mm -hmm. I got Jake a phone before the age I feel is appropriate because he was out of school 30 minutes away. And that was a direct decision after all the, sh the shootings and all the lockdowns that have happened wow. here. It's, it's terrifying and it's triggering for so many of us right now, whether you have children or not, to know that this is the world we live in. But who is checking in with these people? Mm -hmm. I mean, if you don't have a circle, no one's checking in on you. But with mental illness, when you're younger, you know a couple people that, oh, they seem to be struggling. And you get older and then it's like, oh, I have a couple friends that have depression and anxiety and, you know, Oh, that's so weird and so unique. And now 
I'm in my forties. Yeah. What diagnosis do you have? How many do you have? What mm-hmm. are you dealing with? It's, you know, my, my oldest is about to be 20 and I have a lot of hope for the next generation because, you know, for example, maybe I'm oversharing, but he actually went to meet his girlfriend's psychiatrist the other day. And I thought that is so rad. <laughs> that like, is very rad. How well adjusted is this generation? Yeah. I'm going to say rad because mid forties, but like, I thought that was amazing. Mm-hmm. I, I, her therapist was interested in meeting him because she wanted to support a healthy relationship for her. She's met his therapist, um, you know, virtually because he does virtual therapy. Um, I just thought that was amazing. I was so like enthused to hear that. Cause I was like, that's how you become a well-adjusted adult or the best adult that you can be. Mental illness starts at all different ages, but we know that damaged children become damaged adults Mm. and it's really that simple, but we don't tend to deal with it until it gets to this level of awful and people just slip between the cracks all the time. So I'd have to say checking in with people. And then I know the biggest barrier, the biggest barrier to me getting therapy growing up was always money, 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 insurance. Do you have good insurance? Can you find a provider that you gel with? Mm -hmm. Can you find somebody that's culturally appropriate for you? Will they be in your area? Do you have transportation? It comes down to money and money is the barrier that most people are dealing with, with access to care. So we have to level the playing field. We have to make services available for everybody. Do I know how to do that today? No, but if it becomes important enough for every single person to care, then maybe it'll impact some change because at this point, I don't know a person that hasn't been impacted by a school shooting. I don't know a person that doesn't have mental illness in their day-to-day life, whether they're diagnosed with something or not. You absolutely, you, you know, a person, one of my kids, there was a, uh, there was a murder suicide a couple years ago in our area. And, um, it was a, a husband murdered his wife it was the cafeteria worker. It was my daughter's favorite person to see every day in the lunchroom. That was a conversation I did not expect to have that day with my mm-hmm. child. What do you say? You know, they left behind like four or five children. That stuff's happening all the time. And I got to tell you whether it was because of my age or my attention span, I don't know, but I don't remember this happening when I was growing up. Mm. I don't remember hearing about things like this. So something has changed and yeah. something has changed. Yeah, I think, you know, you're bringing up so many, so many important points. I do think our access to a real-time media in so many different forms has changed. You know, I can just recall back to when my father was deployed to Vietnam and in the Vietnam War, you know, we got images, you know, he didn't want to tell us he was going. I mean, he had to tell us he was going. It's like, you just can't get on a plane and you're gone for, you know, a year or two and just like show back up. So he had to tell us he was going. And I'll never forget how he told us we were kind of riding around um, on base. We lived on, it's the first time we lived on base in the United States. And uh, he stopped the car right before getting to the house. And he just turned around and he goes, um, yes, I'll be going to um, Vietnam. And then he turned around and he drove the car. And I'm just <gasps> sitting there going, wait, what? You know, and I know I'm like, I was very, very young. And I think he felt that was the easiest way to say it without a lot of emotion. Um, and that uh, in the middle of something normal, like driving the car, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. maybe it was a way for him to control his emotion and my mom to control hers. Yeah. But, but I remember sitting, looking out the window as the trees were going by, just sort of like, I guess I'm not supposed to cry. That's what I said to myself. I guess I'm suppo- not supposed to cry. I looked over at my brother. He wasn't crying. 
my parents aren't crying. So I thought, okay, I'm not supposed to cry. I'm I'm supposed to be strong. Right. right? But when we got home, I kept thinking of all the images I saw on TV and that was going to be my father and you kind of in, you know, sort of in the jungles or kind of like being lifted um, out on a helicopter or being dragged on the ground as somebody who had been injured or worse yet killed. I mean, it was really quite frightening. And, and and actually nobody talked to us about this, by the way, (laughs) Um, it was back in the day when, you know, you just sort of knew this was part of your military life as the military family, um, no matter how old you were, whether it be my mom or my brother and I as very young children, um, nobody talked to us about what was happening, what our feelings were, what we saw, what we were afraid of. I really wish people had. And I think it would have helped my mom so much because my mom was so fearful. I, I could hear, I remember hearing her crying and, and there I was kind of like, I'm supposed to be the strong one. I have to be strong for my mom. Right. <laughs> you know, right. And, for, and for my dad, it was just so, so hard, but you said something that was really kind of touching, which is how do we have every single person? How do we have them care? you know, and really care, not care in such a way of put those mentally ill people away. They're crazy. They're homeless. They're dirtying up their streets, like lock them up. That's not caring. No. Right. No. But how do we help people care? And I think the sharing of the story of, you know, young people saying, yeah, I want you to meet my girlfriend. We're, we're kind of a unit and we want to be well together and that they're both meeting each other's um, therapist is, yeah, that's pretty wild. That is that I mean- wild in a good way. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's so progressive, but it's also like, I mean, in this society, a 20 year old male that wants to talk about his feelings, like we need more of that. Yeah. We need less toxic masculinity. We need more of that. Um, In what you said about like having to be strong and having to do that. I did that for years. That wasn't the move. You know, I, I think I pent stuff up so much that I definitely think that was very damaging to my mental health for years. And it sucks. I hate having to tell my kids I'm sad. I hate having to tell them, you know, I'm scared or just any of those negative energies, because I know that they, they are going to pick up on that. But it also opens up the dialogue of like how everybody's feeling and you got to kind of take everybody's temperature. And I've got four kids, like they're all very different. They all have different needs. They all have different emotions, but I, I don't know. I don't remember having a lot of talks with my parents. I, I remember, you know, I think that generation, you know, especially with unpleasant things, you know, we weren't the family that, you know, you, the family that like whispers, you know, oh, she got, you know, cancer, you know, and you, you whisper the unpleasant word, but my family was kind of like that. And we didn't, we didn't really discuss unpleasant things. And that sucked really badly (laughs) growing up in that environment, because you feel like it's just you. And when I grew up with mental illness, not knowing what it was, it's so isolating and you feel like it's just you. You're in your head all the time. You feel terrible. It makes you feel like everyone is your enemy and just like the world is against you. That's like the best way I could describe, you know, my experience before I got, you know, where I needed to be with therapy and medication management and different things like that over the years. But it's, it's the the great divide. I mean, money's the great divide, but your mental health is too. And yeah, yeah. But is this other, somebody had talked to me about it sooner. So If this next generation keeps the dialogue going, I think that's going to be huge in itself to impact change. And I, I have very high hopes for that generation. 
Yeah. And I think even for ours, having these kind of conversations, being open about them and reducing the otherness of, you know, having a mental health condition. We all have mental health. We all have physical health. We all have mental health. You know, yes. We all have emotional health, whatever, whatever terms we want to use. When that health isn't going so well, we should be able to openly talk about it. And I think, you know, we're coming from a bit different generation. I'm a bit older than you. I'm not going to say how old, but I'm <laughs> a bit older than you. Um, but, but in, you know, we didn't talk about those things either. And it was very much right. sort of the, you know, the whispering and the hushy hushy and, you know, put yeah. the children in the other room and maybe the parents are yeah. talking about it. We have no clue. And I'll never forget when, I finally figured out that my parents had to be more, not really, well, they did have to be more knowledgeable. They, they have a lot of knowledge, but I had to let them in more into what was happening. And so um, I invited them to actually um, speak with my psychiatrist. I was living in a different state. So um, I invited them to speak with my psychiatrist, which they did. And then the next time I came home, I was up in my um, father's study and I looked over to the bookshelf and I saw this book about bipolar disorder. And I thought, oh, there's somebody else in the family that has a mental health condition because my diagnosis is schizophrenia. So I thought, Ooh, who has bipolar disorder? So I literally yeah. like ran down the stairs with this book and I'm like, mom, dad, who, who, who has bipolar disorder? And they kind of looked at each other and then they looked at me and then they looked at each other. And I thought, what's going on? And they're like, well, you do, dear, you. And I'm like... <laughs> wait, what? (laughs) Like, what are you talking about? They're like, well, wait, don't you have bipolar disorder? I'm like, no, I don't mom and dad, but thank you so much for purchasing this book and trying to be so adorable. I could not like be mad at them for like, where the, what, who were you talking to? (laughs) Like, you guys like did not take the right notes on that day, but, um, (laughs) (laughs) but it was really about the effort about wanting to learn and be supportive. But I think the more we can have these open conversations and less whispering about it, the more I think then people can understand how to care and to be caring rather than it being sort of this other weird thing way over there that you know, doesn't impact, uh, impact them except in sort of egregious ways as they see it. So let me ask you one other question. I find you to be the most, um, how should I, how should I put creative person? And I think it is, you know, not just because of your writing, but you were, again, when we were together um, at this meeting, you were so helpful in helping me think about how to do this report out. Basically it was a report out. It was not me kind of doing my regular presentation where I'm prepped. Um, And, you know, we came up with a very inventive way to do our report out, but really that was you who helped me kind of get comfortable in my own skin to kind of say what needed to be said. So where do you find that creative spirit? Like YouTube videos, like where are you getting it? I, I, I'm glad that was your experience. I was, you know, thrilled to just, you know, be spending time with you and your energy. So I, I got a lot out of that and we were definitely put on the spot. Um, there was no prep for that at all. And then, you know, the background is just like presenting to like, you know, the nation's top mental health people, like in a room, no yeah, big deal, no big no deal, pressure. no pressure. Yeah. So I just wanted to clear that up, but, um, I think for me, and it's probably going to sound cheesy, but for me, making people feel better or making people feel happy or doing nice things. That that's really what like recharges my batteries. I mean, it really is. I don't, um, I don't know. My parenting philosophy is to try to do what I needed, you know, to try to do for my kids, what I know I was lacking in my own childhood, not to throw Mm -hmm. my family under the bus, but you know, I, I think I grew up with a lot of things missing and lacking. And I think I try to pour that into 
my everyday life now. Um, my mom was a wonderful person, but she was, she was very sick and she never really got to that balanced place. She, she did pass away of cancer, but, Mm. um, she did not take care of herself. And there were, there were some addiction things there. Um, she lived a small life Mm. and she lived a short life and her death really kind of like lit a fire in me, honestly. Mm -hmm. Um, and just was like, you know, life is short. I mean, I already knew that, but life is short and, you know, I want to, I want to enjoy every day and I want, you know, my people to enjoy every day because it's really, it really is a blessing. I mean, it sounds cheesy, but it it really is when Mm -hmm. there's, you know, there's either life or, you know, the other option isn't so good, but I love all different types of people. I love meeting new people. I just, I'm, I'm constantly like, just, I feed off that energy. So, um, mental health is a great fit for me because, you know, I'm working through my own stuff Mm -hmm. and I'm, I'm, I'm in this, this safe environment where everybody will talk about their stuff. We'll be on a zoom meeting and somebody will be like, Oh yeah. You know, like, you know, somebody from an, of an agency will say on a call, you know, I've really been struggling lately. That is amazing. Mm -hmm. I love that. That -hmm. is the opposite of how I was raised. So Mm -hmm. if, if I can be a part of that conversation and a part of that energy, then I want to, I want to do it. Um, I could have gone the clinician route, but I didn't. But, um, I think that that, that really inspired me. And that kind of keeps my creativity going. And I mean, bipolar disorder is sometimes my superpower. Mm. I mean, it, I don't think like other people and I always hated myself for that, but as I've gotten older, I don't want to throw the word unicorn out there, but you throw know, it, it's throw it. It's, bam, it's boom, unapologetically it's a, black unicorn in the it's house. I mean, you know, you're younger, you want to blend in. I don't want to blend in. I want to stand yeah. out. And, you know, I, I want my kids to be themselves. I want my friends to be themselves. And I want everybody to live their fullest, most well-adjusted life, whatever that looks like, but it looks different for all of us. So, you know, it's a, it's a a journey. It is a a journey. Oh yeah. It's a marathon. That true, true that a marathon that we can all run. So like marathons, I don't know that I'm very good at running them, but this marathon I can run. And especially when there are people like you in the world, I know that, you know, sometimes when I come into meeting spaces, even though I may know many of the people and people will go really Karis, but yes, I'm intensely shy. I'm socially awkward. I'm all of those things. So the, the minute, like I kind of met you and we were just talking a little bit, I was like, okay, that that's a, that's my Pete. That's a person who's going to like help me figure <laughs> out how to be in this space and not totally like be a wallflower. So I, I, so like whatever it is, it, it exudes and um, definitely was touched by um, meeting you and being able to work with you during that meeting. Are there any like last things? I always ask people to do some wisdom dropping. You've dropped a lot of wisdom, which is amazing. Oh. But is there any <laughs> last thing that you want to make sure people know before we um, close out? I think like a final thought or a wrap up thing that I would want is just let your, let your freak flag fly, man. Like I just spent so many years just worrying about what other people felt about me or thought about me. And I mean, I definitely still have those moments for sure. I'm not going to lie and say that, oh, I'm hundred percent well-adjusted and confident, but, um, I definitely am reminded that. And that, that was what Jake did. Jake's transitioning for our family. It brought us all together, but it, I mean, I had a seven-year-old child saying, Hey, I was born in the wrong body. And if my seven-year-old can do that, then I can go back to school. I can reinvent myself professionally. I can do da 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 So I think that 
if everybody could just be supported and love themselves in the way that they should, then, you know, we could all, we could all get to a better place. But I just say, you know, I love people to be themselves, flawed, messy, all of the adjectives, you know, that's really what makes you special is being yourself. And I hope that if my kids, you know, I always tell my kids, I want you to be good people and I want you to be yourself. It's two things. It's a real short list, but they're hard to do in this world. All right. Well, I think that's a lovely piece of wisdom. Hashtag let your freak flag fly. I love it. It's hard to say kind of, however, I am, I'm like snapping, clapping, two thumbs up, all the, you know, two thumbs, if I had three thumbs, I'd put them up. So thank you. Thank you so much for joining me on Unapologetically Black Unicorns and having this fantastic conversation. I so appreciate it. Oh, thank you. Thank you for providing the space. Cause I think stuff like this, if one person hears it, that's one more person that needed to hear it. So I, I hope that you continue with these. I think it's a great way to reach people. So Fantastic. thank you. Fantastic. So I want to thank Sylvie for telling her story and also for getting permission from her children, both the young ones and the adults for um, allowing her to tell parts of their story and doing so with permission. That's really important here at UBU. So, so glad that she was able to get their permission and share important bits of their story that they hope also will help other people. To our listeners, um, I also want to remind them to join in next week, of course. Uh, And also, yes, you can subscribe. It would be nice. It does help other people. Do it. (laughs) (laughs) You can do it. It's a vibe. All right. So thanks much. And we'll uh, be back next week with more Unapologetically Black Unicorns.